0: Now is the time for men and women of great courage and great vision to engage our church and our culture. Now is the time to dare great things. And here is your host as we dare great things, Father Nathan Cromley, the president and founder of the St. John Institute.
1: Everybody wants to be authentic, but are we willing to pay the price? What does authenticity really look like from leadership today? Will people even respect it? In the fourth of our series on the speeches of St. Paul in the Acts of the Apostles, we look at St. Paul's speech in Jerusalem before the crowd that will eventually imprison him. It is a speech in which he bears witness to the truth of his faith. Hi everybody, thanks so much again for being here and for accepting the challenge that God has put into your heart. The challenge to be great. We remember that Christianity is not a religion of mediocres or a religion of people who don't strive after great things. And I say that on purpose. I know that Christianity is all about second chances, it's all about the poor, and the downcast and the broken. I'm not talking about that, the greatness that's found on the outside. Greatness found on the outside, that's the thing of the world. Greatness that's found on the outside, that's as the world sees. They see not as God sees, but as men see. Right? Remember, that's what God says in the book of Samuel. And so we're not talking about that type of greatness. I'm talking about the greatness of soul. The greatness on the inside is the greatness that can be possessed by slave and free alike, or not possessed by slave and free alike. It's the greatness that's found wherever we are in our state of life. It's the dignity of our character and the deep aspirations that we have that come from our intelligence and from our heart to be excellent and to live a life that is outstanding in terms of its quality, that is in terms of the the degree that we are present in it. The outside, my friends, is is a manifestation, and it's a tool that can be used or cannot be used. And our world was saved not by a rich man who was successful on the outside. It was saved by a man who was stripped to nothingness, broken and hanging upon the cross unto his death at the hands of evildoers. Right, so this is, we, we were saved by a priest victim who entered into his victimhood freely and voluntarily accepting the littleness and the abnegation of his outside in, as a way of expressing the depth of the power of his love that was found on the inside. Jesus, in other words, inaugurates for us a religion that's all about the inside and, and then about the outside Because if we have those means and we have position and we have authority and we have talent and we have the way of expressing our inside, well then let us use it to glorify God, to help other people catch the flame on their inside. You see, the way that it works is it goes from what is inside of us through whatever we have on the outside so that others seeing that on the outside can then go deeper themselves into what's inside of them. Greatness is not found from the outside, but it is expressed on the outside. It can be expressed on the outside. Let's put it that way. Because what we're really looking at here is the question that I have for each one of you. Who are you? And are you living to be the person that God made you to be? Christianity is a, a religion that inculcates that deep sense of responsibility to respond to our creator according to the will that he put up for us on this earth. He made me for a purpose. He made me for a reason. Am I living for that purpose and that reason? And I will go to my judgment day according to the tenets of Christianity and he will look at me and judge me according to how well I have lived out and achieved the purpose for which he sent me on this earth. And so it's not a question of us saying, you know, I'm great on the outside. I've got a great job. I've got a great car. You know, that's all very good. There's nothing wrong with that. It it can even be harder in a sense to live on on the inside when you have all those things because those things can tend to make you rely upon them for the value of who you are instead of standing on your character. But that being aside, the real focus, however, is on, am I responding to God? Am I following God? Am I a friend of God? Because then even if my on the outside, I don't have the trappings or or the esteem even of others, or even the ability to be recognized for how great I really am. I think I'm convinced that some of the greatest people that are on the earth today are not recognized for their greatness. They're not seen. They're failures in their business. Not because they're failures as people, but because of all kinds of different reasons that can happen in business. I wouldn't it be great if you were able to say, Lord, it's okay that I be a failure at business. It's okay that I not have the success in the eyes of this world. Wouldn't that, be, it be, you would be so free. You'd be as free as St. Paul was free in the Acts of the Apostles when he gives witness in his speech in Acts chapter 22. This freedom is what I'm looking for from you. This is why you're here today. I, I can tell you all kinds of ways to grow in, in terms of leadership on the outside. You know, it, it, there's all kinds of techniques. There's all kinds of things you can do to be more successful and to be in, in influencing people. You can win friends and influence people. And it's very important to know all that stuff. It's fine. You know, or I can speak to you about all kinds of things on the outside of, of, of how you can manifest by your talents and your skills, the character you have on the inside. And those things are great, but there's something more important for you, and it's something that applies to every cre- Christian, whether they're in a role of external leadership or not. I mean, from the humble tasks of the family, there arises enough opportunity to demonstrate this other kind of excellence. And it's the excellence of character, of depth, of authenticity, of truth. Being who you are in the eyes of God, accepting that and responding to him with all of your heart, all of your soul, all of your mind and all of your strength. This is what God commands of us. And this is why I say that Christianity is a gospel about greatness. It's about all of the person. It's about integrity of action. It's not about saying, well, he has a good heart, but he just every once in a while does terrible things. You can, I mean, yes, we might fail in our life, but no, it's not okay to simply accept that failure. We have to strive, my friends, that our actions of our bodies align with the intentions of our hearts. We have to be constantly striving for that inner greatness called integrity. And I know that it's hard, but man, at the same time, that's what Christ calls us to. And that's why our religion is a religion about greatness. It's about not cutting corners about the most essential of things, our relationships, our marriages, our families, our interactions, our intentions. And and that's why it's a challenge. So I want to look at what St. Paul tells us here in Acts 22 because here I see an example of St. Paul himself embodying that kind of integrity, that kind of focus on character and it's going to end up costing him his life.
0: Father Nathan is producing an ongoing source of videos to form, unite, and inspire you and your family. Go to eagleeyeministries.org That's E-A-G-L-E-E-Y-E ministries.org and subscribe to Eagle Eye Pro subscribe today.
1: Why don't we open our Bibles together and take a look at Acts chapter 22. And as always, before reading God's Word, let's start with a prayer. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Come, O Holy Spirit, Father of the poor. Illumine the hearts of Thy faithful, and enkindle in them the fire of Thy love. Send forth Thy Spirit, and they shall be created and thou shalt renew the face of the earth. Let us pray. O God, who didst instruct the hearts of thy faithful by the light of the Holy Spirit, grant us in the same Spirit to be truly wise and ever to rejoice in his consolation through the same Christ our Lord. Amen. St. John, pray for us. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Acts chapter 22, let's be careful about what we're looking at here. St. Paul is in Jerusalem, having been warned ahead of time at least twice by different prophets that if he goes to Jerusalem, he will suffer there. He bears witness himself earlier on in Acts that the Lord himself has told him that he will go to Jerusalem and bear witness to him there through suffering and difficulty. And when he gets to Jerusalem, he finds that immediately he's arrested in the temple, right? And this is Acts chapter 21. He goes into the temple and there he gets arrested. He's brought into the barracks, Acts 21, 37. And he says to the tribune, you know me, I say something to you. And he says to him, listen, I would like to make uh, my defense to the crowd. And he's allowed. And in Acts 22, you have St. Paul standing in front of the crowd of the Jews of his day, who were accusing him violently of all kinds of different things. And this is what St. Paul says. He begins, brothers and fathers, hear the defense that I now make before you. And when they heard that he was addressing them in the Hebrew language, they became even more quiet. And he said, and he begins, he says, I am a Jew, born in Tarsus in Cilicia and was brought up in this city, educated at the feet of Gamaliel, according to the strict manner of the law of our fathers, being zealous for God as all of you are this day. I persecuted this way to the death, binding and delivering in prison both men and women as the high priest and the whole council of elders can bear me witness. From them, I received letters to the brothers and I journeyed toward Damascus to take those also who were there, and bring them in the bonds in bonds to Jerusalem to be punished. Well, this is quite a resume. There, in a matter of three verses, St. Paul lays out for them an entire resume of reasons why he should be respected as being devo- devoted to Judaism. Remember, this is not a quite a question of indictment of any kind of religious feelings or religion at all. This is a matter of St. Paul testifying to his deep conviction that Christ is the Messiah. And as he bears witness to this testimony, he begins by saying, giving them almost an irreproachable resume, saying, listen, I was strict in, formed in the strictest way of teaching of Judaism. I was by, taught at the feet of Gamaliel, who was the most respected of the Jewish scholars. He, you know, I I have letters from the elders, from the high priests to persecute Christianity. So like, in other words, I'm one of you establishing that. I understand where you're coming from and I stand with you fully. Then he goes a step further, verse six. And as I was on my way and drew near to Damascus about noon, a great light from heaven suddenly shone around me. And I fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to me, And since I could not see because of the brightness of the light, I was led by the hand by those who were with me and came into Damascus. And he goes on from there to talk about his baptism at the hands of Ananias. So what's happening, Paul begins by saying, I was absolutely one with you, and then this happened. What happened? I met Jesus. And Jesus convinced me my experience with Jesus convinced me inside that this was the way to follow he goes on a little bit later verse 17 and when I returned to Jerusalem and was praying in the temple I fell into a trance and saw him saying to me make haste and get out of Jerusalem quickly because they will not accept your testimony about me And I said, Lord, they themselves know that in one synagogue after another, I imprisoned and beat those who believed in you. And when the blood of Stephen, your witness, was being shed, I myself was standing by and approving and watching over the garments of those who killed him. And he said to me, Go, for I will send you far away to the Gentiles. Verse 22, Up to this word they listened to him, Then they raised their voices and said away with such a fellow from the earth for he shall not be allowed to live and as they were shouting and throwing off their cloaks and flinging dust into the air the tribune ordered him to be brought into the barracks saying that he should be examined by flogging to find out why they were shouting against him like this. Oh my goodness this speech is cut short. His great moment in Paul's life he's able to give a defense of himself in his native language to his own people. He's able to speak directly to the Jewish crowds in Jerusalem and justify his actions. What what a moment in the history of Christianity. A Jew of absolute uh, amazing stature goes off to proclaim salvation and relationship with God and perfection of sacrifice to Gentiles throughout the Mediterranean, earns a reputation for himself in Jerusalem of being a complete rabble-rouser and a rogue who does not follow the true way that was given to Abraham and their forefathers, now stands in front of them, and he gives his defense in Hebrew. This is a a speech that comes right from the heart of St. Paul. And we need to pay attention to it because he teaches us here a very valuable thing that's not easy for any of us. He manages in a single speech to connect with his audience, to demonstrate sympathy with them, and then to demonstrate absolute fidelity to his inner convictions and his identity at the same time.
0: Father Nathan has founded the St. John Institute, the MBA program that develops students into the leaders of tomorrow by giving them a missionary's heart and an entrepreneur's mind. Visit our website at stjohninstitute.org. Dare great things for Christ. I think that Paul's speech
1: in front of Jerusalem is one of his most important. It's one of his most important because he's speaking to his own people and giving a justification to them about why he has done what he has done with his life and with their faith. He has taken what they all hold in common as Jews, and he has claimed that it has been fulfilled in Jesus Christ of Nazareth. And he's proclaimed that then that fulfillment was something due to the Gentiles as well as to the Jews. And interestingly, when you go through the life of St. Paul and Acts this is at the heart of almost every one of the troubles that he has on the road. It's that he goes into the synagogues and he proclaims that salvation is open to the Gentiles as well as to the Jews and that the Gentiles do not have to follow the Mosaic law anymore. This infuriates the Jews of the, of the time. And I don't know exactly why it doesn't always say, but it says that they were given a spirit of jealousy or that they were infuriated against him for having said this. And when you read between the lines in the various places in the synagogues, I think you can make the case that that was actually what was happening, that the Jewish converts were upset not that Christ himself was the Messiah only, I'm sure that that was a big part of it, but that the Mosaic law did not have to be respected in its full anymore. And this, this was something that was seen by them to be intolerable. And I don't, you could make all kinds of cases out there for why this is so. But the point I wanna to make to you is that Paul as a leader is in total awareness that this is a nerve that if he touches in the, amongst the people, it will go badly for him. He was stoned in Derby. He was imprisoned in Philippi. He was thrown out of town by riots. It, all because of this same question. This question being can the Gentiles inherit the salvation of the Jews thanks to the sacrifice of Christ on the cross? And it's obvious that for his audience, this is a very touchy question. When he preaches to the Gentiles, there's nothing but rejoicing that happens because now they, and then there's all the signs and all these things that happen. But for the Jewish converts and for Jews in general, you now have a huge step to take. Not only are you saying that Jesus Christ is the Messiah, but you're also saying that that he fulfills the law of Moses in his flesh And that Christianity represents a way to live in accordance with the faith of Abraham and the promises made to Moses, the promises made to Abraham, the promises made to everybody. And and that you can do this in Christ now. What's Paul going to do? Is Paul going to avoid that subject? Especially when you're speaking in Hebrew in Jerusalem to a rabble crowd. I mean, he's sitting there giving a defense in front of all those who are accusing them. And he begins by saying just how devoted he is to Judaism and to the promises that were made to the fathers. And then he goes on from there to bear witness to this great moment of change in his life when he met the Lord on the inside. And this is something that I think is astonishing to me. He knows, like I said, he knows that every time he does this little speech and he talks about the Gentiles, that there's a violent reaction. And he's about to be, you know, he's in the barracks. He's been arrested in the temple already, everybody. This is Acts 21. He's sitting there in prison and he's gonna go out to make his defense to his accusers. And he brings up the exact subject, that he knows is the reason why he's in prison to begin with. Is this a smart move? It's like, no, Paul should have played politics. Paul should have known that if he only compromises here, he can win in the long run. Paul can keep his life. He can keep his powerful position. He can keep on doing what he wants to do. If only he just, doesn't go all the way in this particular speech. There are times in our lives where we need to compromise. There's times in our lives where we need to pick battles and, you know, and not therefore engage in every single conflict. But there's also times in our lives where we need to take a stance. And even if it will cost us, on the outside, the various things that we rely on, I mean, when Paul gets imprisoned, everybody, it's not just like, oh, Paul suffered. Paul lost his ability to speak in public. He lost his ability to influence in the way that he was convinced that God wanted him to influence people all throughout his life up until that point. I mean, when St. Paul was put in prison, it was a big loss for the church and for Paul. This is not like a happy thing. He's flogged again. I mean, take a look at 2 Corinthians 11, where Paul lists all the different things that he underwent. This was not an easy thing, nor was it seemingly, from a human perspective, the way to be successful. You're usually not considered successful if you get flogged by your enemies. You're usually considered successful if you defeat your enemies. And so what we do in a human way is bit by bit, fight for fight, tick for tack. We respond and we fight back. And there's plenty of times that St. Paul demonstrates that type of behavior. But what Paul never does, he never hides the opportunity that he has to speak about Jesus, even when the truth about Jesus is inconvenient. He never does. In Athens, he's in front of all the wise men of of Athens and he uses his one speech that he has in front of them to say that God raised Jesus Christ from the dead. And he gets kicked out. They laugh at him. They scoff at him, it says. "I mean, and, And now he's in front of these people in Jerusalem and his defense, his defense is that Jesus Christ himself not only is the Messiah, but number two, sent him to the Gentiles. Look at that line that drives the people into a frenzy. And it says, this is verse, uh, chapter 22, verse 21. And Jesus said to me, go, I will send you far away to the Gentiles. And then 22, up to this word, they listened to him. Then they raised their voices and said, away was such a fellow from the earth, for he should not be allowed to live. Now, I don't know about you, but <laughs> for most people, Faith is given up for much smaller reasons than the threats that were in front of St. Paul. Leadership bends for many people for much smaller forces than those that were being exerted on St. Paul that day. And St. Paul doesn't bend. St. Paul leads. He bears witness to the truth And he tries to take his crowd into that truth. What's inside of St. Paul? Where does he get that strength? He gets it from conviction on the inside. My friends, a man who has conviction inside of himself can stand before any of the powers, any of the winds that will blow against him A woman who builds her life on the rock is able to withstand the storms and tempests of this life, the rock of truth. But if you give up that conviction and in front of the temptations of ease on the outside or even influence on the outside, you give up the power of of what is on the inside, you will find yourself so weak and so broken in front of the winds that will blow that you'll spend the rest of your life following them instead of leading them. The Christ calls us to stand in him and to stand firm no matter what because in that standing, there is liberation, freedom, and light for all those around us. Paul's demonstration in Acts 22 is a demonstration of courage of conviction. And this courage of conviction is what bends the world into the shape of Christ and the kingdom.
0: Dare great things for Christ. Share your feedback with Father Nathan. Send us an email at info at That's info at and don't forget to subscribe to premium video content to form, unite, and inspire you at Eagle Eye Pro on our website, org. That's eagleeyeministries.org.